Good morning. That was a pretty uninspired response back. Good morning. That's a little better. Still not great, but we'll, we'll let it pass. Um, I really consider it a privilege to be here this morning. I really enjoyed a chance to be with you last week. Um, if you'll remember, the, the themes of, the, of our times together is that, it's, that the, way God, the way you see God and the way you think he sees you makes an incredible difference in the way we live our lives. And the story last week was Mephibosheth. Remember, in Second Samuel, we see a person who saw themselves as a dead dog, and he saw David, the king, as an evil king. So he spent his whole life, or most of his life, living in a place of no pasture and no rest, living in exile, fearing God, or fearing David, the king. But then, the story changes when he realizes that David is not an evil king, but is a covenant king that pursues him and brings him to his own. And David brings him and finds him not because what he can get from, from Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, that's easy for me to say. I actually said it correctly the whole time last week and didn't, we started off, this could be a bad sign. Um, but Mephibosheth, he, uh, it wasn't what he could get from Mephibosheth that made David go get him. God doesn't save us to use us. He saves us because he loves us. And so he brings David into his, into, his, uh, into his home, to his table, and treats him as a son. The end of the story, David, uh, Mephibosheth sees David differently, therefore he's living differently, sees himself as a son and not as a servant and is living differently. This morning I wanted us to go to a New Testament passage that would have some of the same ideas in it, the idea of, of how we are seen and how God sees us. And, and, uh, and there's so many places we could look at in the New Testament, but I decided that it might be exciting to spend a few moments in the passage we find in John 5. Now, today the sermon topic, the sermon title is called Spiritual Autism. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time telling some stories uh, that involve my son. And my oldest son, his name is Skyler, and he is autistic. And he is the best theologian I've ever met. I work at Reformed Theological Seminary, and there's some really bright guys there. I give up about 20 IQ points in every faculty meeting. Uh, these guys, the questions they ask each other, I don't even understand sometimes. Um, they, there was a discussion at the table. We had a faculty meeting this past Friday, and uh, there was a discussion at the table. And I won't even tell you what it was, but I just want to tell you, very few people are asking questions like this. I mean, they were, these guys, their brains are just bulging out of their heads. And... Uh, but, but, it's, but the best theologian I know is not one of these guys. The best theologian I know is my son, Skylar. He's never written a book, uh, can't read at 20, uh, but he's taught his father much about who God is and has taught me much about how to see God, how to understand him. And I'd like to share some of those stories with you today and, and maybe challenge you to see yourself in a very different way, maybe in the way that God sees you. Before I go any further, let me tell just kind of a funny story um, that, that kind of implied about this sort of deal. Uh, a church down the road, uh, Northland, their pastor's name is Joel Hunter. And we, we, would, we went to their special needs class for, for children uh, when we first moved to town about five years ago. And so Skylar met him um, in, this, in this period of that time. And so we were between Sunday evening services, between back, back when they had their older, their smaller building, Instead of, you know, six flags over Longwood. And uh, 
and uh, they uh, and so they had two services on on Sunday evenings. You with me so far? This is really a good story. I know I'm kind of going slow. Let me let me go faster. Uh, by the way, for those of you that are waiting, we don't have a great video clip at the end of this sermon, so you're going to have to do your part. Okay, act like you're interested and listen. Uh, so it's in between services. And my son, Skylar, and one of the things about autism is you don't have really good social awareness, and you're not really sure what's appropriate and what isn't. Sounds like most Christians I know. And, um, <laughs> and so Skylar sees Joel Hunter, and he's getting ready to go do the second sermon, you know, in the second service on Sunday night. He sees, and he says, hey, big boy, you know, I'm not sure that's the way you should approach most pastors. I, I think Jeff Jakes would handle that pretty well. I've been with Jeff quite a bit, and and he prays for you and loves you all. He, he encouraged me this morning, texted me, and was, and was praying for our service today. Uh, I think you could probably call Jeff that. But I'm not sure that that's the thing that Joel Hunter usually hears when people come up to him. And so Skylar goes, hey, big boy, and walks up to him. And Joel was very kind, and he knows Skylar. And, and he said, hello, Skylar. And Skylar goes, it's noogie time. And, <laughs> and, um, and, he, and he goes up, if you don't know what a noogie is, he goes up to the senior pastor at Northland and he goes, right before he's getting ready to go into his next service. And um, at which point we never went back to that church. We've changed our children's names and we've moved. Um, I think what you'll find if you'll stay with me today is that uh, the richness of the story of Beth- uh, at the pool of Bethesda There's also a richness in the stories that God is telling in our lives. And I think if those intersect today, I think God may have something for us to hear about how we would see him differently, how we might see ourselves differently if we begin to see ourselves through his eyes. So with that as our introduction, could I pray with us? And then we'll go to John 5 together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good, and we are in need of you because we are often a mess. So would you meet us here this morning? Would you change us this morning? Would you disrupt us and entice us? Disrupt us away from our comfortable, casual way in which we live our lives and entice us to life, entice us to more. So, Father, would you do that this morning? You know every person here, and no one here is an accident. And so would you change us all as you meet us here at this time, in this place. We pray in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The passage is found in John 5. I'd like to read that to you if I could. Reading from the NIV, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Arabic is called Bethesda which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One of them was there that had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. We'll stop at that, pa- at that point. 
though the, the passage is rich as it finishes up because there's, um, because there's more to the story, which we'll touch on in just a few moments. A couple of things to note in that story, if you will. First of all, um, I've never gotten used to it. It'll happen again tomorrow morning. Um, I take my kids to school almost every day. Now, now that my, old, my youngest is driving, so now I'll just take Skylar to school in the mornings. Um, and I'll never get used to it. There's a special place where the special needs kids are let off at school. And, I, and I've never thought my son should be in that place. And I'm sure every parent who drops their child off doesn't think their child really belongs in the special needs group. And the group is a group of kids with, that are lame and crippled, blind. So when I read the story of the Pool of Bethesda, it's, it's a little different for me because I can visualize it. I see it every, every school day morning. I see a collection of kids that don't fit in, disabled kids called special needs kids, and I drop my son off there. It's amazing how kind everyone is to each other. They actually like each other as opposed to the kids that Pierce seems to go, my other son seems to go with, the regular kids, whatever that means. They're always gracious to one another. But when I read this passage and I, and I see the scene, it changes for me because it's not just a story. I can visualize a place full of people that are struggling. Full of people that are struggling for lots of different reasons. Struggling, in this case, because they're an invalid or blind or disabled. That's such a picture for us today. Because if you're going to understand the sermon today, you need to understand that this is a place like that as well. Oh, you guys came in looking pretty nice and clean and, and, and all together. But if you're going to understand the sermon today, you need to understand that emotionally and spiritually we walk with a limp. That we struggle. That life is hard and relationships are hard and sometimes we just don't know what to do. And if you're going to understand the sermon this morning, you need to see that this is not just a story of others out there that were disabled at a pool. It's a story of you and I. Well, let's go back to the story. At the pool of Bethesda, there's a crowd of people that are disabled, and Jesus comes along. Now, nobody knows that uh, at, at this point in the story... Commentators know when they look back on these passages, but the people, at the, de- the people around the pool didn't realize that Jesus is about to make a point that will be very important in his ministry. Because the religious people of the day had very odd views about their faith and about, about the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath and what was okay and what wasn't. And, and, and as so often happens with very religious people, legalism and formulas become the way that they understand, understand our God instead of um, instead of understanding them in a personal way. And so, lots of rules. And so as Jesus, God incarnate, is walking, one of the themes that's going to happen in his ministry is this tension between what we do on the Sabbath and how we deal with, with people that are... And what does it mean to worship? And what, is it, what, is, what does it mean to, uh, to honor God? What does it mean to know him? And so, the people sin in the pool of Bethesda, the disciples, the people around didn't realize that Jesus was about to begin a theme of that in, in his teaching. But they just knew that Jesus all of a sudden shows up at a place where everybody's hurting. And the, the text says that he's 
the, 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 uh, when he hears that this invalid has been there for 38 years, he, he goes to him. Now, let me just say a couple of things. There are some things that this story will, if you honestly read it, will cause you to go, that's kind of odd. What does that mean? One of those is, you know, I would like, in my version of the gospel, it's Jesus came to the pool and said to everybody, would everybody please stand up? No one is now crippled and cures everybody. Then I would say that I would want Jesus to choose maybe the most innocent or the, the, the youngest, the one that's going to have the longest life left and, and maybe heal that person. But if I'm reading the text correctly, there's a large crowd of people that are disabled that Jesus walks around and through and finds himself in front of the person you and I would least likely choose. It's been there 38 years. Average life expectancy is in the mid-40s at that time. The guy's spent his life at the pool, and his life doesn't have a lot of years left. I think the way most of us would think is, this isn't good thinking, Jesus. You need to, why don't you go find, this is not good PR. You need to go and get the, you know, this won't do well on CNN. You need to get the most innocent, the best-looking little kid, and pull that kid up and, and heal that person. And I mean, this 38-year-old, they're, they're on the downside of their life. I think when you honestly read Scripture, often you'll find yourself with questions. God's not afraid of those questions, but I think you'll sometimes find yourself with those questions. Curiosities, interesting things. Well, the story goes that this man, Jesus then says to the man something that on the, the, when you first hear it, you think, that doesn't seem like a very nice question to ask. Jesus says, do you want to be well? We'll come back to that million-dollar question in a few minutes because it's not as cruel a question as it sounds. Because a lot of us begin to enjoy the things that keep us down. A lot of us begin, begin to become good friends with our addictions and good friends with our anger, and we kind of nurse our idols And sometimes the real questions, do we really want to get better, is a great first question. Because sometimes my answer is, no, not really, not now, not today, maybe later. But getting better might require something of me. I think I'll wait. So we'll come back to the million-dollar question in a minute. But it's a fascinating way the man answers. First of all, let's think about the way the man sees himself. He sees himself a little bit as a victim. Hey, nobody's here to help me. Has he had a difficult life? You bet. He's had a very difficult life. But he sees himself a little bit as a victim. No one will help me. Jesus says, do you want to be well? He doesn't say yes. He says, no one helps me. Kind of sounds like me. Sometimes my whining. Remember, you're not a victim. You're a sinned against sinner. You live in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, life is difficult. In a fallen world, sin touches everything. In a fallen world, people will treat you selfishly. People will hurt you. People will harm you. That is reality. That is true. But you also are a sinner that harms others. That you're a sinned against sinner. Sometimes in our world, we, we forget that second part and we just talk about the fact that the way people have harmed us. We don't think about the way that we are refusing to love others. And so we've got a picture of a man who initially says, oh, it's not me. Nobody helps me. So he sees himself incorrectly. You've got to give him a little bit of grace. After all, he's been sitting there for 38 years. Hard life. Lonely life. 38 years. 
So he finds himself, how does he see himself? Probably sees himself as somebody who can't accomplish much. Probably sees himself as a little bit of a victim. As long as you see yourself in that way, that's how you live. Probably saw God. How, do you, how would you guess he sees God? Now, this isn't from the text. This is just, just speculation. How do you think he sees God? Put your hands down. I'll, I'll go ahead and answer for you. Um, I, I think he's probably, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not a little bit angry at God. I mean, look at me. Look at my, my life. Look at what I've gotten. He's comparing himself to others like we all do. So my guess is the way he sees God is in a pretty negative light. The way he sees himself is in a pretty negative light. And therefore, he's going to stay at the pool. And even when somebody says, do you want to be well, he doesn't even have an answer. But he didn't realize he was talking to the one who could do something about it. And Jesus says, get up, walk. That's great words to somebody who can't think they, that thinks they can't do anything. I can't do anything. And Jesus says, you can, stand up and walk. And he's healed. What a wonderful story. What an incredible, powerful story of a man whose life is changed by an encounter with Christ. Now, there's lots of questions that you struggle with from this story. Why, didn't, why did Jesus choose this person? What about the rest of the people? Well, the part of the problem is the reason that Jesus may have chosen this person is he's about to begin in his ministry to talk about this idea of the Sabbath and how we should live. And if you'd chosen somebody that people would have said, that person deserved it, then, they, then there wouldn't have been the argument about you shouldn't do this on a Sabbath. You shouldn't do that on a Sabbath. See, people didn't realize that there was a bigger story playing out. What I'm starting to realize in life, you've got two choices. You can live your life where you're the star of your story. Go for it. Tell your story. Do everything you can. And your story will last about 80 years, maybe. And be forgotten in a decade or two. Or you can realize there's a greater story being told that started at career, that started and then goes through all of eternity. It's a story of redemption. Now the problem is the star of that story has already been handled. But you can get a bit part in it. You can get a part in that story that lasts eternity. So you can either be You can create your own big story and it lasts today to years, or you can become a part of the bigger grand story that God is telling of redemption. Now, that that seems like a pretty good choice to me. Something that lasts forever or something that will be forgotten in 50 years. That doesn't seem like such a hard, hard decision. That's the issue here, because God is telling a great story. I'm going to talk a little bit about confusing and, and, and the way that we see God. If I could tell you just a quick story. My son Skylar and I ride a bicycle together sometimes. It's a two-seater bike because Skylar can't balance. And so, and, and looking at me, you might think I can't balance either. <laughs> that poor bike is holding a lot of, of stuff when we're going down the road together. And... Um, and so it's a tandem bike, and, uh, and so we're, we're riding together one day, and we're riding, and we hit a sandy patch. We're turning on a road, and we hit a, a sand, sand patch. Now, I want to tell you, there will be a day that he'll never ride that bike again. It'll be the day he falls off of it. Autistic kids don't like change, and they don't like to be shocked that way. And the, the day he falls off that bike, it'll never be ridden again. I, I mean, it, that's just the truth. Um, and so we come around the corner, 
and we hit a sandy patch. You with me? I mean, the Florida roads, and the back wheel starts to go out. Now, I panic. Um, Skylar, because you know how you, most of you naturally know how to lean when things are starting to go the wrong way. That's not part of his understanding of life yet. And so he leaned the opposite way he should have as the bike was starting to go, which means now the momentum is even pushing us further. So at that point, the bike is going around the corner. We're going 600 miles an hour. No, we're going, okay, I've embellished it just a little. We're, we're not going all that fast, but we're going. And, but, so, I, so I drop off of, the, off of the pedals, and now I'm straddling the, the bike and trying to, to run along to hold the bike in place. You, you kind of get the idea? That's the closest to, closest to dancing you'll probably ever see here. And so I'm, I'm holding the bike, trying to keep it from going. It goes left. It's starting. I pull it back. It goes right. We're going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, we, it, it comes to a, a stop, and it doesn't fall. My hands are white from, from just gripping the, 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 uh, the handlebars. I take a deep breath, and I look back at Skylar, and his hand is clenched. And he says, don't you ever do that to me again. <laughs> and, I, and that's when I realized he was an amazing theologian. Most of my life, God is holding me up. Most of my life, God is keeping me from failing. Most of my life, God is protecting me and drawing me. He's calling me to his very table. And when things start to get a little shaky, and I don't understand why they're shaky, I clench my fist and say, don't you do that to me again. Who do you think you are, God? And I realized, I realized at that moment that I'm spiritually autistic. That what he is in not being able to understand some of the things we do. Sometimes he gets mad at us for doing things that are really for his benefit. Sometimes when we're doing something, we're sacrificing, we're making a decision. It's really my wife that does most of the sacrificing. But when, when we do those sort of things, it, sometimes he's mad about those. You, you, you start to clean up his room, he gets mad because he likes all the stuff in place. He doesn't like it changed. And I realize I'm spiritually autistic. And then I started looking around at the church, and I, I, I realized we are struggling with spiritual autism. Now, isn't it just like a psychologist to create a disease that you didn't know about before, tell you you have that disease, and then now I'm going to tell you how to fix it. And, and it'll be great. Before you, you, you came in here feeling okay. I told you you were crazy and sick, and now I'm going to tell you how to get better. I mean, I think it's a pretty good deal for an hour. You know, it's funny. In, in autism, there's three basic symptoms in autism. The first has to do with the inability to communicate effectively with others. And I think of us sometimes. Think of the way that we deal with each other. I deal with the way that we deal with our non-Christian friends. I, deal, I, I, I think about the way we deal with, uh, with other churches and other denominations. And, and I think we, we don't communicate very effectively, do we? It's almost as if 
It's almost like there's something wrong with us. We're so into ourselves that we don't, we don't communicate very well. The second symptom of autism is inability to deal with social interactions effectively. They often will do the same thing over and over again. Uh, they'll often, uh, you know, the example I gave you with, with the pastor where he gave a noogie, that's an example of, of not being socially very aware. And I think when I think of, when I think of how... Um, when I think of how we live our lives, I think of um, how often in the Christian life, in our Christian communities, we, we live in a way in which we don't effectively deal with one another. Because we come in here and we pretend instead of coming here and live one honestly with one another. People will, you know, people will come in and even though they might be struggling with something, they'd never tell someone here at church, they'd be more likely to tell someone else. And we think, why would that be? Here's the place where we could do that. Here's a place where we could talk about the struggles of living our lives. Here's a place where, why? Because here we're forgiven. Here we're under his grace. Here there's a, there's a marriage of, of, of justice and, and grace that will play out, but we don't do that. We, instead, we kind of play games. Um, it, it's, it's amazing socially sometimes. And the last symptom of, uh, of autism is they don't play well with others. Um, meaning they, and, and they, they do stereotypical and repetitive behavior, which is just a fancy way of saying they'll sometimes speak the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Presbyterians have better do it right the first time because they'll do it that way for 300 years. Well, um, that's kind of spiritual autism. You know, it's like, well, that's the way we do it. That's how it's been done. Um, and, and I think there's, there's a way in which you and I suffer from this disorder that I'm calling today spiritual autism. That we suffer from a, a selfishness and a demanding of God to fix and give us life on our terms. And God is saying, I've got something better than that for you. I've got something better than you being my servant and getting and cutting a deal with me. I've got a table for you to sit at. I've got a relationship as a child of mine to offer you. I will adopt you into my family. The words adoption are used very purposefully in Scripture. Now, it's not used in Hebrews uh, when they talk about the, the, the picture of adoption because the Hebrew understanding of adoption would be very difficult because the idea of blood relatives is very important. But in Rome, when you're adopted, it is uh, adopt, the laws in, in Rome on adoption would suggest that it, you can disown your biological child, but you cannot disown, in, in Roman law, an adopted child, the permanence of adoption. And so when Paul says to, to, in, to the church in Rome, you're mine. You're adopted into the kingdom of God. You're a child of God. That's serious business. And God is offering us so much more than what most of us want. Most of us are afraid of him. Most of us don't understand him. Most of us think his job is to just keep our bike from, from, from falling over. And whenever there's a rough spot, we get mad. And he's offering us more. He's offering us real relationship. He's offering us real hope in our relationships. He's offering us communication with others that, that matters and talking about things that matter with people. He, he's offering us the ability to have 
activities that are not stereotypical and repetitive and don't do, the, do anything. He invites you to be a part of behavior and live your life in such a way to where everything you do, you do touches eternity. Well, that's real different from spiritual autism where you just do the same thing over again and it has no purpose. As a, as a Christian, if we really believe this, if we really believe this, then every moment is pregnant with the possibility of eternity. Boy, that'd change the way you live. All of a sudden, every interaction has important consequences that, that, that could last forever. Wow. See, that's what he invites us to, and we live for so much less. So this morning, what I wanted to suggest to you is I wanted to suggest to you that, that you and I are special needs children of God. That you and I don't fully understand what he's about. Just like the people that watched this story at Bethesda, they saw a miracle. But they weren't aware that there was a bigger story taking place too, that, that Jesus was about to deal with this issue of Sabbath with these people and, and that that's an important part of the rest of the story. They didn't know that. And so much of our lives, we just, we just come in on, on this page and we don't know the pages before and we don't know the pages after. And we have to learn to trust the author. God's a great author. He doesn't tell a boring story. And his stories are involved with intrigue and redemption and hope. Betrayal. Struggle. For sure. But the story he's weaving with your life is a story, if you, catch, if you, if you put it as a part of his story, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of hope. It's a story of change. It's a story of life. Abundant life. And most of us settle for a much lesser story. He's telling a grand story. I want to tell you, sometimes it's going to be confusing on this side of heaven. Because we don't, we haven't read all the pages up to this point, And we don't know what the pages after this point sometimes are. I do know the end of my, my little part of this story. He takes me home. <laughs> um, I don't know what all will be written between now and then. But I do know how it ends. What's really kind of been interesting about the Olympics is really very little of it is live. We're seeing, they make it act like it's live, but really most of it, because of the 12-hour time difference, most of it has already happened. And the announcers know that, but they're acting like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen next, you know, but they know. And so they can be really excited. There was a, the, the, the Phelps thing last night, there was a commercial on right afterwards about him winning his eighth medal, and I thought, you know, that was, I'm sure that was in the can just in case, but, you know, it's because they already knew the end of the story. You can live with reckless abandon if you know the end of the story. No matter how dark the night gets, no matter how much you struggle, no matter how much it doesn't make sense at this moment, if you know the end of the story, you can live with a sense of purpose, faith. We know the end of the story. And we're starting to get to know the author of the story. And if we could learn to lean in and trust the author of the story. And if we could rest in the end of the story, it will change the way you live your life. 
Uh, my friends, you are autistic. You're special needs children of God. And he's holding up your bike and inviting you to pedal and protecting you. And he's asking you to trust him. Why should you? There's some good things about being special needs. Take some of the pressure off. One of the favorite things, and I would encourage you to do this, you never have, go to either a Special Olympics event or go to a prom, a dance for special needs kids. It's one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. Uh, the Best Buddies program, which is a wonderful program that, that puts special needs kids with regular kids in the schools, they have a prom every year. And it's amazing. The only reason kids wouldn't dance is because they don't like the loudness of the music. It's not, they're not worried about what people are wearing or not wearing. They just, and when the kids that do like the music, are just, they just dance like there's no tomorrow. And it's fun and loud. And it's nothing like regular kids at their dance who are spending all their time trying to be cool. They're just living and dancing. And what if, it, what if we understood the end of the story And what if we leaned into the author of the story and trusted him in a way that we just danced? That we picked up our bed and we walked? The million-dollar question Jesus asks the man at Bethesda is, do you want to be well? This morning, Orangewood, my fellow special needs people, the question before you, is do you want to be well? Let's pray. Father, this morning we've, we've spent some time in the story at the pool of Bethesda. Father, would you remind us of that story throughout the week? Father, you remind us, would you take us there and let us see the hope in the eyes of the man as he walked? the amazement in the crowd, and even the questions of why you're doing what you're doing. But Father, most of all, take us there to remind us that you are a good author telling a good story of your glory and that you have invited us, pursued us, bought us so that we can be a part of that. Father, this week, have us live in a way that celebrates You as the author of the story you're telling. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.